Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. It is my honor to call forward Elisheva Hadar and Hilary Hodes. Uh, Hilary is our inclusion specialist in our religious school and a cherished member of our community. Of course, many of us, most of us uh, know Elisheva well by now, also a, a beloved member of our community. We're going to share with us uh, some words of Torah on this disability inclusion awareness Shabbat. But today, when our reading in the triennial cycle begins, we find Moshe and God trying to figure out how to go forward after the disaster of the golden calf. They're in the tent of meeting, and the pillar of cloud is at the entrance, which indicates that they're having one of their face-to-face meetings, where God speaks with Moshe as he speaks with no one else, like humans speak with one another. Or maybe even better than humans speak with one another. Maybe a model of how humans should speak with one another. They're respectful, but they're firm in what they want and need. And you can hear this in the trope. I have to talk about trope. Um, most verses you probably know have um, follow a pattern where they go up in the middle, da na 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 at nachta, da na 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 sov pasu or sov pasu. And twice in this conversation between God and Moshe, the verse starts with the nachta. There's no beginning. So they so it's sort of like God uh, Moses is saying, I brought Moses. Moses is saying. Like, I can't lead without more support. Like, I need to know you better. Like, I can't do this. And, and God is like, fine, fine, I'll do it. And Moses is like, no, really. Like, I need you to do this. Um, and unless you go in the lead, don't take us, don't make us leave this place. So they figure it out. God can't just show himself to Moshe, as the rabbi was saying, but he finds a way to give Moshe what he needs without compromising God, his godliness and without killing Moshe. Moshe is shielded in the cleft of a rock, and he only sees God's back or his weight as God passes by. At the end of the Parsha, Moshe does something similar for the people. When he comes out of the tent of meeting, out of his face-to-face meetings with God, he's radiant, so much so that people can't really be comfortable in his presence. So he relays God's message, and then he puts on a veil to go about his business in the community. So I imagine this veil might not just be for the sake of the people's comfort, but maybe also Moshe's. The, translation, the transition between face-to-face with God and then the hustle and the bustle of the camp, that sounds kind of overwhelming. So maybe the veil struck people as a little strange, but it was an accommodation that allowed God, Moshe, and the people to go forward and productively fulfill their roles. So after Moshe sees God's back, shielded and hiding in the cleft in the rock, God tells him to carve a new set of tablets and go back up on Mount Sinai for a do-over. This time, God comes down in a cloud and proclaimed what Yitz Greenberg called in his Tavar Torah this week, God's definition of himself. So the Lord passed before them and proclaimed, Hashem Hashem, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in kindness and faithfulness, extending kindness to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and iniquity, transgression and sin, yet he does not remit all punishment, but visits iniquity upon on iniquity of the parents upon children and the children's children upon the third and fourth generations. We don't stand for this revelation at Sinai like we do for the Ten Commandments, but in a sense we honor it even more, which is why the words are some of them, anyway, probably sound more than a little familiar. 
It's incorporated into the liturgy repeatedly in Slichot during Elul and for the High Holidays, and we chant it before the open ark during Shafrit on festivals. So you're probably more familiar with hearing it like Adonai, Adonai, El Rachum, Bechanun, Erech, Akayim, Berachesed, Be'emet, Notzer Chesed, Lahalafim, Noseyabun, Vafesha, Bechata, Vinakay. But the Torah portion goes, and he won't remit, but he will actually punish people. Um, so this, in the liturgical moment, it is cut off mid-verse. Not just, not, not even, not even just mid-verse. It's cut off mid-phrase. And this is a really big deal. Our, our, this hardly ever happens. Our, tra our, tra our tradition really values using full verses. But we omit the part about punishment being meted out on future, future generations. And this makes sense because already in the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, the law has been amended to state that people are only punished for their own crimes. And then when the 13 attributes that they, those are called the 13 attributes, come around in Slichot, in close relationship with the Vidui in, in um, Thai Holy Days and in Elul, I get the sneaking suspicion that they aren't only about the attributes that I hope and pray God will have toward us, but they're also a rebuke in a sense. There's a, there are a list of how I should have acted toward others and sometimes toward myself, and if I had, there'd be a lot less to beat my chest about in Vidui. When God gives this second set of tablets with this self-definition in the 13 attributes, I think he is not only telling us how he will try to treat us, he's telling us how we should try to treat each other. The covenant is being established, established not only between God and the community, but also between the members of the community, which is all the more reason to drop the part about punishment in a liturgical context. We don't need any more encouragement to judge and punish each other and ourselves. However, when we read these verses of Torah reading, either in this Parsha or on a fast day, we read the whole thing in context with the promise of punishment. Is this perhaps saying that if we don't work on exhibiting these attributes toward each other, there won't even be a community in three or four generations? So this Shabbat, when we are talking about awareness and inclusion of people with disabilities, it's particularly important, it's a particularly important moment to think about these 13 attributes and our responsibilities toward one another. It's true that the majority of people fall within a range of abilities of needs, a certain pattern of abilities and needs. And it's only reasonable that the path through the world is, is, is smoothest for those within that range. However, no one is completely within that range any more than any family has the average 2.5 kids. And everyone will fall outside that, outside that range temporarily due to illness, injury, aging, or just random bad luck. So a wider, smooth path is better for all of us. If we do this, it does not mean we're lowering our standards. The law in the second set of tablets is the same law. It's just presented differently with more acceptance and compassion, and it took two tries. God had expectations of us, and the people had expectations of God, and when they were thwarted, when at the time of the golden calf, the people turned to ask for what they had seen elsewhere, the golden calf, a literal gold standard of what they thought was religious participation. And the former, God, was ready to give up on the covenant altogether and wipe us out of the face of the earth. Both sides had to give up some of their preconceived notions and try again in a different way. So similarly, while we may want for ourselves, our children, and each other, that we should, we want the gold standard. We, sh we want that we should all be normal and successful and cruising along the smooth path through the world. That's not going to happen for anyone 100% of the time. And for some of us, people with disabilities, either visible or invisible, it will happen rarely, if ever. And that's okay. 
People with disabilities aren't sick, we aren't damaged. Our patterns of needs and abilities are different. And um, in, in a lot of ways, Judaism as a religion and Temple of Bethel, we do, we do things right in terms of widening the smooth path and allowing for different approaches to religious involvement. It's not a sit still and shut up and speak in perfect unison sort of service. We make a spiritual practice out of not being able to sit still or stand still. Um, and our renovation is going to make this space more accessible for, for people in all sorts of different ways. But still, we can do better. We can try to talk to each other in the way that Moshe and, and God talk to each other, listening respectfully, but also being honest about needs and then being able to compromise because no one's going to be able to, no one's, no one's going to get everything they want to need. Um, if, we, if we don't bring everyone along, we're doing it wrong. If we exclude people because they don't do things in the way that most people do, because their religious seriousness doesn't look like we expect it to, because they're not successful in the conventional way that we understand success usually, we're losing out. Not on a chance to be helpful to them, but on having their gifts, the gifts of all our fellow Jews. So now many of us long for a return to normal after nearly two long years of pandemic. I think this time, I think in this time we all saw what it's like to lack access. And I hope we wouldn't wish that on anyone. Maybe we can return to normal with a broader sense of what's normative, one that includes everyone and provides access so that everyone can belong. Now, turn it over to Hillary. Hamas that exist precisely because we have work to do as a greater Jewish community and here specifically at Temple Bethel. So where do I fit into this conversation? If we not, have not yet had a chance to meet, I am Hilary Hodes, and I'm a white, non-disabled, middle-aged woman. I am the new inclusion specialist for the religious school. I came to the role because of my professional experience as a special educator in a specialized and inclusive school in London and New York. My current role is at the Partnership for People with Disabilities at VCU as the project coordinator for the Virginia DeafBlind Project. Do my credentials impress you? Does my resume make me the right expert to represent a community's perspectives on the perfectly inclusive environment and the magic ingredients that bring that together? Far from it. Elie Shava talked about widening the smooth path. How do we learn what it takes to do that without listening? If we continue to make assumptions about who needs what, we cannot design an inclusive path, path for people with disabilities. The focus of this evening's Shabbat Together Havdalah service is inclusion begins with listening. One thing I wish you knew. For all of the theories and pedagogy around inclusive practices that I can offer, I do not have a lived experience with disability. And so I am here to listen, to offer some questions or ways to make space within our community to hear from people with disabilities so that they too feel a sense of belonging in our greater Jewish and local Temple Bethel community. As a quick aside, I'm often asked about the correct disability language to use. Many of us grew up hearing person first language, like the language I just used, person with a disability or people with, a, with disabilities. You may also hear identity first language, where the disability comes first as a part of someone's identity. For example, disabled person or autistic person. Both identity first and person first language are used within the disability community. And they're used for different reasons. As a non-disabled person, I repeat, I am here to listen. I need to ask and listen to the language used by the person with lived experience or their family. 
And so we invite you now to listen to voices from our community. We ask to start the conversation by posing a few questions. We ask, why is Jewish Disability Inclusion and Awareness Month important? And heard, so many families with disabled members are disconnected from the Jewish community. This is an opportunity for us to reach out and make that connection to them. You so, so I'll I'll sort of if if I were if I were going to also answer that question, um, and sometimes I feel like everything I get to do in the world, my being in the world depends on the extent to which I can pass for normal. Um, and and so it's sort of to backtrack a little bit to your question about language, like I I tend to avoid identifying myself with a, as a person with a disability as much as I can. Um, and then I'm completely inconsistent. So if you're listening to the language that I use about myself, you're not, I don't know what I use. Um, I guess I'm a, I'm a person with autism and I, the prognosis for me was not always so good. And, um, I've spent more than my share of time in hospitals and other institutions. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I think I worry that if anyone ever knows that I will lose all connection to everything because I'll get carted away. Um, but I'm old and it's not like that anymore, but, uh, it's because I tend to hide, um, and try to avoid talking about it, partly because I am generally a private person and partly because I'm ashamed. Um, I don't really connect with anybody else who has a disability in the Jewish community. Um, but on the whole, the Jewish community and Temple Bethel in particular have been a lot better at being inclusive than the rest of the world. And I think one thing that we have reflected on is how powerful our conversations were and just getting ready for today. Um, we also asked, what is one thing you wish our community understood about people with disabilities and special health care needs? And heard, one thing I would want my community to know about disabilities and special health care needs is that a dis disability can happen overnight. All people who have disabilities are not necessarily born with them. Also, not all disabilities are portrayed visibly in a physical way. For some with special needs, simple tasks require additional planning, time, and support. For example, some families can't just go to the zoo without planning. They need to consider physical access, exposure to allergens, timing regarding medications, and other possible barriers. In short, many experiences that are simple for some families are much more complex for others. And we need to have more respect for the differences. Another one was, I wish that people in the Jewish community understood that Jews with disabilities and healthcare needs are Jews. They have pure, perfect Jewish neshamas like Hashem has given to all of us. When we create or ignore barriers, barriers to their participating in the community or to them doing mitzvot, we are doing a disservice to our entire community. I wish the Jewish community understood just how much we all need each other. I think you know, a lot of that resonates with me. Um, and I... Um, it does. It takes a lot of planning for me to get here and, and do this. And you know, today is an example of if something little is not what I expect, even if I want it, even if I am happy about it, it can make me lose everything I ever knew. Um, so, um, um, and uh, I think that's all I have to say. We asked, what is your wish for the children's or the Jewish community's future as it relates to disabilities? And heard, my wish for the Jewish community is for us to collectively understand the value that every single Jew 
brings to our people, and to see how much better we are together. Basically, my deal is to always get typical people to understand that they are not doing a favor, a mitzvah, or chesed, when they work to make the Jewish community inclusive. We need our disabled brothers and sisters because of what they bring. We can't live like Hashem wants if we create a diaspora within our own community. And we also heard um, just about continued opportunities to connect with others in the community. Did you hear something new? Something that surprised you? Something that resonated with you? Something that made you curious to learn more? I know I did. One theme I heard resounding in the responses is a desire to connect with the Jewish community and with the members of the community who share lived experience with disability. So where does that leave us now? Where do we go from here? As with so much of the work around the broader concept of inclusion, there is both the personal and the interpersonal work to come. I invite you to reflect on your current perceptions of disability and what it means to include people with disabilities in the different parts of your lives. Rabbi Ari Solish offers a reflection in inclusion, on inclusion in his book, Inclusion and the Power of the Individual. Inclusion means that we reject the notion that society ought to be designed for some and then refashioned to accommodate others. Inclusion means that society is set up from the start for all, taking into consideration individuals that exist within our communities. Our society and community may be well past the start, but as we are going through a renovation, how can we bring this reflection on, on inclusion beyond the physical building and space and into the space of engaging with one another as a community? Interpersonally, I challenge you to make space to listen to one another in conversations, or could we even do this at the institutional level? So some, some other things I've, I've done online and edu educationally have asked upfront, asked everybody across the board, what are, what are your access needs for this? Um, and I wonder whether you know, we could start asking that question. You know, as, as someone becomes a member, or even every year as they, they renew their membership, they, re they renew their membership. Um, but that would, I mean, we shouldn't ask the question unless we're prepared to actually try to provide those needs. And that could be a diff difficult conversation. Um, but, I, but I think we, we, aren't, we aren't going to unless we make a start. Um, and uh, another thought that, that um, since people are trying to make a connection is, what if we had sort of an affinity group, a, a disability havara? Um, this is probably the last thing I would want because already this place pretty much is, is all I can handle in terms of human interaction. Um, so I, I wouldn't probably want to be in this disability havara, but um, it seems like a nice idea. And if I don't make it to the end of, of uh, Musaf, that's why, because I'm kind of done. Anyway, um, I, can, I can practice the same verse of Torah for an hour and a half really happily, but um, being in a room with people for an hour and a half for two hours is kind of a challenge. Thank you. I, I really can't thank you enough for sharing and letting us listen with you. Listening helps us find the tools we need to widen the smooth path, to create a sense of belonging for people with disabilities and their families. I look forward to continuing to listen with the community and learn how we can become more inclusive together and finding ways to take action on what we learn. Shabbat Shalom. Oh. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. 
I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.